All right. Well, I'd like to start this morning by uh, asking a question. And the question is this. If you had to say, is our society, culture, living in a way that's aligned with God's Word or contrary to God's Word? And you have to pick. We're going binary here. If you had to pick one or the other, would you say aligned or contrary to God's Word? Contrary? Okay. I, I've, I have similar thoughts and feelings about that. Um, anybody care to share a couple examples? Okay, some of our legislation would definitely go contrary to what we know in God's Word. Any other examples? People's purposes for their life. Life purpose, yeah. A lot of people are living for the weekend or uh, we're not saying don't enjoy weekends. We all enjoy weekends, but right? So good example. Any others? Ideas of success. Okay. We'll go contrary to what God's Word teaches about the idea of success. Yeah, I mean, really, we could just watch an hour's worth of TV and we would know that, you know, culture and God's Word are not aligned. So by that, we would have to agree, or I would say, do you agree that our culture, our society, does not see this, God's Word, the Bible, as authoritative, an authority? Would you agree with that? Do most people that you would just run into, see it as an authority for life. Now, they might think it has some, some good uh, truths or some good wisdom, but they would not necessarily consider it an authority for life, correct? That, that would be a general, broad stereotype of our culture and society. But see, here we believe something different. We believe that God's Word holds the wisdom and the truth for everything important in life, don't we? We believe that it, it tells us what's important in all kinds of relationships, whether it's marriage or parenting, friendships, all kinds of relationships. We believe this holds the truth for those things. We believe this holds the truth for what we would consider successful. We believe this holds the truth for uh, how to handle even finances, things, things, all the things we really consider important in life. And most importantly, we believe that it has the truth concerning eternity. So if we believe that this is an authority and we're going to base our lives and we're going to base our eternity on it, it would make sense for us to know a little something about this book, correct? So that's what we're going to take the time to do over the next three weeks. We're going to have a series started on the Bible and we're going to answer uh, some, some basic questions and, and they're important questions. We're going to go through and talk about God's Word. And for some of you, this may seem like a lot of review. But I think it's important for us to all take a step back and say, if we're basing our lives and our hope for all eternity on this book and these truths, it's important for us to understand a little bit about that. So we're going to talk about what is, in the next week, we're going to be talking about what is the main message of the Bible. Is this just a bunch of clever stories or fables or... Uh, you know, just kind of haphazardly thrown together a bunch of stories. That's, we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. We're going to talk about why should we even study God's Word or why is it important for us to know God's Word. And then this week what we're going to talk about is what is the Bible? How did we get it and can we trust it? That's what we're going to be talking about this week. What is the Bible? How did we get it and can we trust it? And 
This is going to have probably a little bit more of a classroom vibe than a sermon vibe. So it's going to maybe feel like a little bit of history and a little bit of data and a little bit of information. But it's really important for us to understand how we got our modern day Bible and to talk about some of those things. So with that, you know, because this didn't just drop out of the sky. We say it's a God's word. But it wasn't like it just dropped out of the sky. And, and I'm not trying to disparage any other uh, religions here. But, you know, like the Mormons would say that the Book of Mormon came. They found some golden plates. And Joseph Smith translated those plates into the Book of Mormon. And, and so there's a lot of mystery that surrounds all that. And, uh, not so much mystery surrounding God's Word. But a lot of us don't know how we really got God's Word. It didn't just appear. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Okay? Let's go ahead and pray one more time, and then we'll dive into some of this information. Father, we come before you. We do thank you that you have given us your word, that it's written in black and white, that we can go back to it, that we can reference it. Thank you for wanting to communicate with us. I pray that you would waken our hearts to your word, even as we go through this that we would maybe have a newfound confidence in the Scriptures. And I just pray that most of all we would understand the message of your Son through Scripture as we go through this. Can we thank you for the chance to be together? We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Now, most of you should have notes. <clears throat> if, you, if you want notes and don't have them, they're on the back table. And if that's the case, you can just feel free to go ahead and Come on up and, and get those. So what is the Bible and can we trust it? This is not in your notes. That, that part is, but what I'm going to say is not. So you might want to write this down. The Bible is a library, if you're filling in the blanks. The, li the, the Bible is a library of books that contain God's written message to mankind. So the Bible is... We hold it in one book, but it's really a library of books. And it's God's written message to mankind. We're not just left with this, you know, I have, I have a feeling and I think this is what God's saying. And a lot of times we'll say those kind of things like, I think God's telling me this or I have a feeling that God wants me to do that. Well, this is God's written message to us. It's a message that's been written down. Again, I just want to go through some of this. It's a library of 66 books, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. If you have a Catholic background, or uh, then you'll say, well, no, no, the Bible has 73 books. And we'll actually spend quite a bit more time on Wednesday talking a little bit about that, the process of why uh, those books are not. So the Catholic and the Protestant Bible have a different set of books. I would just say the Catholic Bible has an added set of books. We'll talk more about that. We believe that 66 of the books are authoritative. It's written over a span of 1,500 years by over 40 different authors, you know, from a fisherman like Peter to a king like David. And so it had a, a lot of different authors from all walks of life. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Yet, when it, we approach the Bible as a whole, there is one message. We're going to talk a lot more detail about that next week. But as we look at God's Word, 
it tells us one clear message. And a lot of times, even in our Sunday school classes, if you grew up in Sunday school, you get a story about David and Goliath, and you get a story about marching around Jericho, and then you get a story about Jesus in the tomb. And you get these stories about Peter, and, and you're kind of like, what are, all, what are all these stories really? What's the message of the Bible? We'll be talking about that. We'll give you a sneak peek today, but we're going to be talking about the message of God's Word because there is a clear message in it. <clears throat> so it, it's God's message to us, and the Bible is not a book of rules. How many of you kind of sometimes think of the Bible or have thought of the Bible as just a list of things not to do? I mean, a lot of times that's how we might look at, at the Bible, like, oh, yeah, great, why would I want to read this? Is Then I'm going to know all this stuff I'm not even supposed to be doing. That sounds like it's just going to wreck life. Like, ignorance is bliss. Let's just enjoy life without hearing all that, the bummer information. Well, it's really not a, a book of rules. It, and it does have some Old Testament laws, and there's some things that some of the laws aren't even applicable to us. You know, even God's Word is sometimes referred to as the law, the Old Testament. It's not, a lot of those things aren't even applicable to us. And so we sometimes go into it as a, a book of rules, you know, and people will say, well, you can't have a tattoo or, you know, even people, dietary laws and all kind of different things that don't even apply to us as Christians. So it's important for us to understand it's not a book of rules. It's a book that, is, that communicates love and communicates hope. Hope for this world and hope for eternity. So what is the Bible? It's God's message to us. A message of love and a message of hope. It's not just a rule book. <clears throat> Here's Psalm 19, 7-11. So it has different phrases that talk about Scripture. It talks about instructions, decrees, commandments. You could put that, maybe even the Bible or the truths of the Bible in each one of those. It says that instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. Let me say one more thing. Did you know that Scripture teaches that God's Word is eternal, that His Word is eternal. It lasts forever. Our spiritual gifts aren't even eternal, Scripture says. That some, our, our, our gifts are temporary. But things like God's Word is eternal. Love, eternal. Instruction of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. How many of you have had your soul revived through Scripture and truths from Scripture and been given hope? The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. In other words, making some people who aren't so sharp have wisdom for life. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord, we hear commandments, we're like, how could that bring joy to the heart? But they, we do, and, and you know if you live according to God's word, you end up having more joy than not living according to God's word. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for the living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. Is that? Do we really feel that way about our Bibles and the truth here? If I told you there, there was somewhere on this property, there's a pot of gold. All you got to go do is find it. You guys would be showing up here. You guys would probably wouldn't even wait till the service is over. You'd be out the door finding, get, going to get your shovels and scour on the place because we really we really treasure things like money and gold well if we have the truth of god's word it will many ways make our enrich our lives in ways that finances can't the truths of god's word can enrich your life in a way that no finances could 
<clears throat> they are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. Romans 15.4 says, Such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. So we do, that's what we're doing, is getting some teaching here. It says, And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. We all want to know what's going to happen in the future. We all want to know how things are going to unfold. We all want to know if there's going to be an asteroid that's going to smash the earth to smithereens. We all want to know if the economy is going to crash. We all want to know uh, if and when Christ, or when Christ is going to return. We want to know those things. But while we wait for the future to unfold, we have a book that gives us hope. Something that we can look forward to the future as life unfolds, how God designed it to unfold. We can be filled with hope instead of despair and and a lot of people in the church out of the church are filled with despair and despair and what's going on in our world what's going on in our society what's going on in our homes but really as we begin to look at the truth from god's word it will fill us with hope it will give us strength the truth from god's word the Bible contains many true and wonderful stories. I've added true in there because sometimes we say like, hey, here's, uh, we want to talk about the story of Peter walking on the water. And, and kind of when you use the word story, sometimes it sounds like we want to talk about the fairy tale where Peter walked on the water. They're not, they're true stories. This, this book cont contains truth, historically accurate truth. We'll talk more about that as time comes. There's one main character. Anyone know who that is? Christ. One main theme and one main message. So if you're filling out the notes, these would be the answers to those notes. Again, I know this is less sermony and more classroomy, but I think it's important for us to understand some of these basic truths if we're, if we're going to uh, trust our Bible. Main character is Christ. The main theme is redemption or restoration. Redemption is kind of a I mean, it's a Bible-y word, but it also would be kind of maybe a literary word, and they would say, oh, that was a great redemption story. A lot of us understand that, but for some of us, it's a little easier to connect to the word restoration, taking something that's been wrecked and restoring it. And the main message of the Bible, again, this is a sneak peek. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week and talk about all the sections of the Bible. But the main message of the Bible, you want to be able to put the main message of the Bible in a sentence? Here's the main message of the Bible. All those stories woven together, written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, it all comes together with one main message. And that message is that Jesus Christ restores a world that has been broken and devastated by sin. And so if you look at even the beginning chapters of the Bible, what does it talk about? Adam and Eve in the garden and everything's awesome, right? Life is great. And then soon after that, we know about the, the serpent and Adam's decision, Adam and Eve's decision, and things just kind of crash, right? And then time proceeds, and even the time that we're in now, and things get dark, things are bleak. But scriptures talk about and tell us about the hope that we can have now for the future, because God is going to restore righteousness here on earth even. And he will even now begin to do that even in our own hearts and in our own souls. He'll do that. But he's actually going to, Christ is going to come back and reign and make things good again the way they were meant to be. That's the main message of the Bible. 
So how do we get our Bible? This, <clears throat> again, didn't just drop out of the sky, right? You're like, well, I went down to a Berean bookstore or my cousin gave me a Bible or I got it passed down from grandpa. I'm talking about how did we come with to get the books that we have. It was delivered from God through men. If you're kind of a suspicious type like me, you kind of go like, well, through men. That's where everything gets wrecked. And how in the world can we trust it, right? Anybody else kind of think like that? No? Just the pastor? Just the sinful pastor? Okay. God's word originated from God. And those the, the phrases we use to explain that are revelation and inspiration. Let's see if I have it here on the next slide. So inspired basically mean in scripture talks about that it was inspired by God and if you go back to original languages that means God breathed it was it comes from God and it's that he revealed to us himself he revealed to us truths and so he basically uncovered things that were hidden now for all of us that's if you read a doctrine book or a theology book they almost always start with the Bible as a section. Why do you think a doctrine book would start with teaching us about the Bible? If it's going to talk about God's character, it's going to talk about the Holy Spirit, it's going to talk about sin, it's going to talk about man, why would they start all of that with a study about the Bible? Because that's where we get our truth about all those things, right? And so the way that we understand what we know about God, what we know about life, what we know about marriage, what we know about eternity, what we know about Christ, it was all revealed. Those are things that were going on in the world. And God could have chosen to just keep us all in the dark and say, figure it out yourself. Just stumble around in the dark and figure out life for yourself. But he revealed it. He uncovered hidden truths that the world operates by, whether we like it or not. You can call it karma. You can call it sowing and reaping. You can call it uh, the law of consequences. But God has designed the world to operate in a certain system, has He not? And so what He's done in this Word is He's revealed those things that would be covered up to us without some kind of insight and knowledge. I added quite a few verses uh, on inspiration and the message coming from God, not from men. It's through men, but the message is not from men. And I think that's where a lot of times, if you're a skeptic, what you begin to think, well, this is just a bunch of stuff that men wrote down. And it would be easy for us to get caught in that trap, and even as unbelievers or believers, to begin to think, it's just a bunch of words from men. Well, men did write these words down. But we believe, according to God's word, that he inspired or he moved these men to write these things down. And we'll talk about even, you know, so if Melody writes something down, how, how, why do we not say that that's inspired? And we'll talk about that even by the end of the day here. We'll talk about why we believe these things were inspired from God. 1 Corinthians 2.13, When we tell you these things, we do, do not use words that come from human wisdom. This isn't human wisdom, is it? I mean, you go out and, you know, you Google how to handle marital problems, you'll get just wisdom that's human wisdom. Some of it good, some of it bad, some of it medium, some of it horrible. You'll get human wisdom, but when we go to God's Word, we get wisdom that's not based on human wisdom. 
It says, instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit. Again, it didn't originate with men. It originated with God. Using the Spirit's word to explain spiritual truths. Again, how awesome that God gives us His word in actual words. It's not just a vibe. It's not a feeling. It's not a mystical uh, impression that I got. He actually has allowed us to have his message in written word. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's inspired and it's uh, meaningful for all areas of life. Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. And again, this isn't just a book that men just decided to come up with. And even as I talked about, over 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, for all that to be woven in and make sense together. Again, not at maybe first glance, but as you begin to study it, you can begin to see the same theme through the book. That's miraculous. It didn't come from just some men. You know, they didn't collaborate over 1,500 years. There wasn't a group of men, uh, you know, in some kind of, uh, you know, Freemason-type thing where there's got a secret you know uh, society that they're trying to figure out how to stage this elaborate 1500 year document to be woven together that's not what happened it was not from uh, a prophet's own understanding or from human initiative no the prophets were moved by the holy spirit and they spoke from god remember our lord's patience gives people time to be saved this is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with wisdom God gave him. Speaking these things in all his letters. This is Peter writing about Paul. He says some of his comments, it's kind of funny to understand. If you ever feel like, man, the Bible is hard to understand. Anybody ever feel like that? Has anybody here ever felt like, man, the Bible's hard to understand? Well, here's Peter writing about Paul. And what Peter says, the Apostle Peter writing about the Apostle Paul he says, some of his comments are hard to understand, and those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different, just as they do with their own parts, other parts of Scripture. This will be a result of their destruction. It can be difficult to understand, but they are still Scriptures. Paul's, or Peter's saying what Paul wrote is Scripture. Maybe not be easy to understand, but it's Scripture. So God communicated his heart and mind or mind and heart through man in order to bless us now and into eternity. You know, again, God gave us this out of his kindness, his mercy, his grace, because he wants to bless us. He wants to give us the keys for an abundant life. He wants to give us the keys for eternal life. Now, here's a big fancy chart. I'm going to take just a few minutes to explain. We talked about revelation. You have God's heart and mind. Revelation and inspiration, we talked about those. They kind of go together. God revealing what he wants to reveal. It's, it's him in, taking the initiative, him speaking it. Transmission is the actual act where there was somebody who was writing this stuff down. It started with maybe the Apostle Paul or whoever was writing the letter. 
they wrote that down. They, it was transmitted through writing. It was di dissemination, in other words, and then those messages were spoke. They were preached to groups of people. And as those messages, and usually in the form of letters in the New Testament, were preached to people, there was recognition. People said, yes, that's truth. There would be groups of people, some of them who had walked with Christ, some of them who had uh, been studying the Scriptures for years, but there were people that recognized the truths as truths. And then there was preservation. We know that, that for centuries, people have tried to destroy the Bible. For centuries, just even history works against the Bible itself, if you think about, you know, the fact of trying to maintain a manuscript over thousands of years. So God preserved Scripture. Then we have translation in which there was, you know, Greek translations. There was Latin translations. The Latin was one of the first. And then it came to us, uh, you know, through many other translators came to us in English. And now we have probably a thousand different English translations, it seems like, which we can talk more about on Wednesday. And then what happens is there's interpretation or illumination. So even today what we're doing is there's an interpretation of these scriptures. So I'm reading these verses and I'm interp interpreting what they mean. And then the Holy Spirit works in our heart and it illuminates and says, this is what this means for you. And after that illumination, then we're called to a response or some kind of application, right? God doesn't want this just to sit on our shelf and get dusty, right? He, he, he wants us to, to not only know it, but to live out God's Word. And so it ends up affecting the attitude and actions of men. So again, there are a lot of spiritual writings out there, right? Leo decides to write his own book, the book of Leo. And, uh, you know, he's like, this one's from God. I had... It, you know, an angel visited me yesterday, and I'm like, are you sure that wasn't the, the uh, burrito you ate in the afternoon? Maybe, maybe that wasn't an angel visiting you. How do you know? Well, there's a lot of spiritual writings out there, and even early church, there were a lot of, we've, we've read and we've done some studies, like even in Colossians, there were a lot of false teachers out there, right? And they're teaching all kinds of different teachings that would go contrary to God's Word. And so how do we know which ones should be included? Well, some of you have heard of the canon before, and it's not like a canon on a ship's deck. It's a canon. It means, I think it's in your notes, it talks about a measuring stick or uh, a rule. And so it's kind of the authority, right? You carry a, a tape measure to a job site, that's the authority. It's not someone else going like, that looks like about seven feet to me. I don't know, put it in around seven feet. I put it around six feet or, you know, three quarters of an inch or so. No, you use something that's, uh, that's set. It's a standard. It's a rule. And so the canon gives us the set books of the Bible. So it's the list of books that have been universally accepted to be inspired by God and authoritative for faith and life. They're called the canon. Again, I want to talk a little bit about this. And again, we'll talk more on Wednesday. But the reality of it is, we can trust that the scriptures have gone through a process that we can trust the books that are in here, although there have been many other books. There's a, um, the Gospel of Thomas is a book that we would not consider part of the Holy Scriptures. Book of Mormon, we wouldn't consider part of the Scriptures. There are Book of Maccabees, we would not consider part of the Scriptures. Some people would consider those Scriptures, but 
there's a, the canon, there's been a set amount of books that have been put in the canon. So from 367 AD to about 397, there were three main, in that period of time, there were three main councils. And these councils got together, and here's why they got together. These three main councils got together because there were all kind of people saying, uh, you know, this book should be included in Scripture. Well, what about this? Well, we're following this. Well, our church follows this book. And so that around this time, about three to 400 years after Christ's death, birth, there were people that were coming up with all these books, and so they needed to decide, how do we know which ones to include? So these councils started meeting together, and they said, we need to figure out what we're going to establish. Because, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of spiritual writings that would even cite people like Peter or different, different people that we would consider fathers of the faith. Well, by 397, it was universally accepted. These 66 books, and we'll talk a little bit more on Wednesday about the others that maybe the Catholic Bible would add in. So here's the criteria. Say, how did they decide? How in the world did they pick which ones would be in the Bible? Here's some of the criteria. It needed to be written by a recognized prophet, apostle, or one in close, close proximity. So, let's say John wrote some books. That's included in there because he was an apostle. Now, a couple guys that weren't apostles, you would consider Mark. He wasn't, but he was a contemporary with Luke. He ran around, or I'm sorry, uh, with Peter. He ran around Peter. Luke is another one. He wrote Luke and the book of Acts. Luke is not an apostle. So how can we trust that? Well, he ran around with Peter and the other apostles. And so he was one of their contemporaries, and they accepted his writing as valid. That needs to be truthful. The books that were introduced need to be truthful. They needed to be books that were not just truthful historically, even some of those books I mentioned earlier, whether it's Maccabees or other, there are, there are errors when it comes to even just historical data, but also intrinsically truthful. In other words, containing truth about life. They needed to be confirmed by Christ, the prophet or apostle. Now, when you go into the New Testament, don't you hear the apostles using Old Testament scriptures? So they're kind of putting their stamp of approval on it. Don't you hear Christ talking? You said Christ picked up the scroll from Isaiah and read in Isaiah. So all of a sudden, Isaiah then becomes uh, authoritative. So it also, they need to be faithful and aligned with previously accepted canonical writings. We say that we are to interpret Scripture in light of itself. So in other words, when we interpret Scripture, it all needs to jive with other Scripture, Right? Sometimes you get some really harebrained ideas out there and someone just takes this one verse and doesn't weave it in with the other scriptures. Well, the same is true here. When they decided which books, it needed to jive with the other books that were already decided as authoritative. That makes sense? And then, again, that was about 300 years after, so one of the ways they established that was they said, is the church regularly using these and have they recognized these books as authoritative? And they did. These 66 books consistently, and here's a sneak peek to Wednesday about the Catholic, 
not necessarily with those other ones that the Catholic Bible had added in. And I'm not trying to disparage any other belief systems here. I'm just explaining historically what happened. So God determined the canon and the church discovered the canon. So we could say like, oh, well, man is man just picked, they cherry-picked a bunch of passages they wanted to put in there, a bunch of books that they wanted to pick. Well, that's not necessarily true. God had decided which ones, and the church affirmed those through the, the criteria that I just shared with you. That's how we kind of discovered which ones were authoritative and not. How do we know we can trust the Bible? I'm not going to go into too much detail on this because I did a few weeks ago. Don't mind my messed up bullet point there. It's a little, that kind of stuff drives me crazy, but it's just to keep me humble. I throw those in there every now and then. Actually, there's plenty of reasons to be humble. You're getting smacked down regularly. Fulfilled prophecy. We talked about this, and you can talk about all the prophecies that have already been fulfilled in Scripture, where Scripture in and of themselves historically affirmed uh, fulfillment of prophecy. It's the, the mathematical odds are astronomical that uh, the, the prophecies that have been fulfilled would be fulfilled. It lends itself to great proof, if you want to use that word, for the truthfulness of the Bible. Textual accuracy. Now again, we talk about the Bible as these original manuscripts and, and these documents that have been you know, copied by scribes and passed down for generations. Even as recent as the 40s when they unearthed some, they, the ones in the 40s that they unearthed match up with things that they have from a thousand years ago to demonstrate that many of these scriptures, there's just maybe some subtle nuances, a grammar change or something, but nothing significant in doctrines. And so there, there's textual accuracy. We have more copies, like 5,000 whole copies of the entire Bible, 5,000 original manuscripts or next to original manuscripts First century manuscripts, or previous to that, even manuscripts, over 5,000. Now you compare that to, you know, maybe like Homer's Iliad and Odyssey. They have 700, but no one doubts that, that he wrote that, that, it, you know, again, that was a, a story. But there's no one's kind of criticizing that, saying like, oh, did someone just make this, uh, you know, like, can we trust the way that it was passed down? You know, maybe Homer wrote it differently in the original. We don't even do that with that. They only have, I think there's less than 700, actually. So textual accuracy. Archaeology confirms in many ways Scripture. The fact that it's been attacked. I told you guys this a few weeks ago. Scripture, they call it uh, the, the anvil that's worn out many hammers. And so... People have tried to crush and oppress and get rid of Scripture, but it has stood the test of time. I think the biggest one is the way that it's uh, completely transformed lives over thousands of years. And if you have lived by any of these truths, and, and maybe even you know, in a tough, difficult time of marriage, and you begin to apply some of these principles 
or maybe uh, related to stress or anxiety or depression, you begin to apply these principles. It points to its truthfulness because it works. The truths in Scripture really do work. So what's the Bible and can we trust it? You have a little better idea of what the Bible is here. Kind of, It's a library of 66 books. It's a message from God. It's written down for us. Can we trust it? We can trust it as much or more than any other document we could trust in history. So the Bible is a library of 66 books that contains God's written message to mankind, the trustworthy guide for daily living and eternal life. Now... It's given by God, and it's profitable for all areas of life. And here's, I want to close by giving you guys a couple of challenges. And one would be, one of two challenges this week. One would be, I would encourage you to read, through the course of the week, the longest chapter in the Bible, which is Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter. And the whole chapter is about the Bible. And so I would encourage you to read that, and it'll give you reasons why we should learn, why we should study, why we should apply God's Word. If you're kind of like, why? We can just go to church on Sunday and get it. I think it'll be a refreshing exercise to go, wow, I want what this uh, offers in this chapter. And as I look at those things, I realize that I can get many of those things as I get into God's Word. The other challenge, so if, if that challenge doesn't appeal to you, let me give you another challenge. And that would be to take any circumstance or situation that you're in in life right now that maybe you're struggling with or having a difficult time but is center stage in your life, whether it's financial problems or health problems or uh, you're, you're trying to figure out how to parent your child or you're you know, trying to figure out how to handle how you should handle business deal or being truthful or you're maybe struggling with temptation or lust or whatever it would be. Whatever your issue is, I would encourage you to find some scripture that relate to that issue and begin to say what the scriptures teach concerning to that real life everyday thing that you're going through. So challenge one, should you accept it? Read Psalm 119. And look for reasons why you should get into God's Word. Challenge number two would be think of the real-life difficulties or struggles or just events in your life that are center stage right now and try to find Scripture that relates to that. If you need a hand with that part of it, let me know. I'd be, love to be able to kind of point you in the right direction on that. And then finally, I just kind of want to close by saying I personally love God's Word. If it's wrong, I'm the biggest fool that ever walked because I'm here teaching it to you guys. And I'm telling you guys to run your life by the truths in this Word. But I also know, based on years of experience and by looking back generations, that you will not be dissatisfied if you put your trust in the truths in this Word. And again, going back to that biggest message, the biggest message is the truth about Jesus Christ. And that He can set us free from sin. That He is the one that brings us healing. He is the one that brings restoration. He is the one that brings redemption. And to me, that's the truth of this Word that is life-changing the most. More than financial tips or marriage tips is the truth that I can be forgiven and I can be given everything I need for an abundant life now 
even if it's in the middle of dif difficult circumstances, but not only an abundant life now, but be given eternal life. Those truths are found in the scripture. I would encourage you, get into God's word a little bit this week. If you've been discouraged or you've been doubtful, begin to just reassert your own trust, your own faith in God's word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We do thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of your son. We thank you for the hope that he brings us. And Father, I know that a lot of this is technical or feels scholastic or like classroom material, Father, but I believe it is important for us to understand and for us to know how you delivered your word to us. Help us where there are places of doubt. I pray that you would transform those into places of trust. Father, please help us to take the truths from your word and learn to love those around us, Father, that we would be, that we would be known by your love that we would be showing unconditional love to people we agree with, disagree with, that we would be beacons of hope, beacons of love in our culture, in our society, Father. I know that you give us truth in your word to accomplish that. We love you. We thank you so much for loving us, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.